Welcome to American Education FM, everybody. I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. Merry Christmas, everybody. Welcome back. Last episode of 2023 here. I'll tell you what, here's what I want to do right off the top. I want to thank everybody for listening. I really do appreciate it. Again, I've, I've read numerous comments over the years here regarding the show, numerous text messages, emails, and I just want to thank every single person who's ever reached out, and even for those who have not reached out, uh, thank you again for listening and contributing to the show. I really do appreciate it. This is a team effort. There's no doubt about it. Again, I'm only one person. There's only so much information I can bring to bear, but again, when when you hit me with text messages and emails and Comments in the comments section on BitChute and Rumble and even on Podbean, it, it really is fantastic, and I, I love bringing that information to bear also. So again, thank you for listening and thank you for contributing. I'm overwhelmed, and uh, I'm having a lot of fun, and I hope you are too. Again, we, we need some calm during this, uh, during this war here, and at the exact same time, we have to get tough as nails, and we have to understand the battlefield and understand that if we think 2023 was jacked up, well, I bet 2024 is going to be even more jacked up than, than this past year. So lots to look forward to, without a doubt, and let's get into it here. First of all, I want to riff a little on the Trump Colorado thing just for a second. Again, this is another one of those moves that is exposing a major circuit court in the United States. And you've heard me say this before, that I find it fascinating that these judges can make these rulings, assuming that they're actually making them on their own. Again, we're running under the assumption that these judges are making this decision by themselves and without influence from one side or another. Again, black hats could have guns to their heads and saying, you're going to rule this way. White hats could have guns to their heads and saying, you're going to rule this way. Or again, it's quite possible that they are actually just this crazy, and, uh, and, and they actually believe that what they're ruling is somehow constitutionally sound. Of course, as we all know, that just kicks it to the Supreme Court where they're going to make a ruling, and clearly they're going to have no choice but to make a ruling in the positive for Donald Trump. And that's just going to humiliate the lower courts and everybody who associates, of course, and then everybody who's tried to analyze what's actually happening. I just think that it's a predictable move that the left always makes. I don't think this is a big deal at all. In fact, I just think it's another wake-up moment, and I'm certain I'm not the only one that believes that. It's just another wake-up moment for people to look at it and say, wow, that's really unfair. Or, wow, why, why on earth can our judiciary system make such a ruling that's clearly so obviously biased and unconstitutional and a thousand other things? So. I'm not concerned with it in the slightest. I find it fascinating that, that they continue to make these moves and swing for the fences and they continue to strike out. I think that really does continue to prove that there are good forces that are working here on a constant basis. And I don't think that that's avoidable. And I think that we need to always take that into consideration and understand that there are always great things happening. And many of these great things, again, that are happening we're not supposed to see all of, all of the time. You know, they're taking place behind the scenes, and, and we don't have to understand everything. And we can try to pontificate and bloviate and do a thousand other things to try to make it sound like we know everything that's happening and everything that's taking place. And I just don't think that we're supposed to know everything. And I'm fine with that. 
mean, we can wrap our arms around a number of things. We can, again, problem solve and apply the scientific method on a variety of subjects and do what we have to do to try to arrive at logical conclusions. But it's also possible that there's so much going on behind the scenes that there's no way we're going to know everything, because I don't think that we're supposed to. Again, if we knew everything that was taking place, we would probably take to the streets and start you know, going after people, certainly elected officials. And they've given us plenty of reason to do that, of course, with all of the illegal immigration that's taking place and the invasion that's going on. And it really is disgusting, but I just wanted to make mention that sort of on a, on a broader scale. I want to mention this too, and again, I actually said this on Gab the other day, and I'm glad I'm not the only person saying it also. Um, this came from Ashley St. Clair on X, and they basically said, something is happening. Pilots from nearly every major airline are reaching out to me to blow the whistle. Other journalists are being saturated with additional whistleblowers. This is far from over. We're just getting started. Uh, yeah, you know, that right there is a, is a big, big deal. These airlines that are allowing these illegals to come here and then flying them around, they are engaging in human trafficking. This is clearly illegal. And again, I understand they're, they're really bending the term asylum, that these are asylum seekers. And I really wish, too, that even the likes of James O'Keefe and these other reporters, they would stop saying that, that they would stop saying the term asylum seekers or migrants. Just stick with illegals. Just, just stick with that term, because that's really what it is here. The left uses migrants. Even the right uses the term migrants. We can't be either one of those, and, and we can't adopt their lingo and their language. But with that said, these airline pilots and these individuals who work for these airline, you know, airline agencies, there have to be excellent, morally sound people who work for them who really do want to come out into the open and talk about what's going on. Whether they want to be identified or not is another matter. Again, if they remain anonymous, then they can continue to be a source and continue to expose what's actually happening behind the scenes. Again, whether it be the feelings associated with what's going on or you know, the mood of everybody involved, uh, money exchanging hands, it can get right down to the most specific detail. But we really do need to start hearing more and more from airline officials and airline workers specifically regarding the illegal aliens, that they are moving around the country. Again, we've heard from them regarding the jabs, and that was valuable information, but we really do need to hear more information from them regarding the invasion that they are, of course, participating in. So why these airliners are allowed to do this is beyond me. That's above my pay grade. And it just seems like these, these airline agencies are traitors to our country. So someone has to be held accountable for even allowing this to take place. Again, they basically strip search you when you get on an airplane. But as far as these individuals are concerned, they have temporary IDs that they're given at the border, and then they're allowed to fly wherever they want. And then as we know, and as I've brought up here on the show, it's Christian organizations, Jewish organizations, and other organizations that are paying to move these people around and giving them first-class plane tickets. This has to end. This has to end. Something has to occur. Someone has to stand up at one of these agencies and say, we're no longer doing this anymore. But then again, maybe they would just replace that CEO and 
go about their business and just keep human trafficking and child trafficking. It, it just can't get more obvious. And again, I haven't been to an airport since, God, 2019. I'm certain it's changed. I have no plans to go to an airport. <laughs> None. But I'm going to take a guess and say it's a little darker these days, if you know what I mean. So, there you go. Kind of my, my two cents rant on that. Um, I'll tell you what. Let me get into this now. I know a lot of people the other day were blowing up about the Jeffrey F., you know, Epstein uh, list here, and, and influencers are, are uh, going to be outed, and here comes another list. We've seen endless lists on the internet over the years, numerous lists. I've put some out on Gab. Uh, you know, I, I've tossed a few around on, uh, on social media. It's the same names, by and large. It's the same kinds of people. And you can't expect anybody to really admit that they were ever on his island. Some people are openly admitting that they were on his plane. Some people are lying about being on his plane, and other people aren't saying a word. But I like Technofog's take on this because he said the the, the sort of I guess shock and and surprise and interest in what's apparently going to be released on January 1st. A lot of people are basically really hyped up about it, and there's not a whole lot to really get hyped up about. Um, not to rain on anybody's parade, it's just, what can they possibly tell us that we don't already know? The interesting part for me is, is who's actually going to come to the forefront and again claim that they either didn't know him, didn't fly on his plane, or never went to his island, or never engaged in any of the activities that he engaged in regarding Epstein. I mean, I think of Alan Dershowitz every single time that I hear of a list coming out about Jeffrey Epstein, because Alan Dershowitz is a horrible liar. I mean, he's terrible at it. He squirms, and he's just a, he's just a weasel among weasels. And you heard me say and joke about a long time ago, <laughs> I said I said I was going to have a segment on the show, whether it be weekly or monthly or something, where I basically call it, you know, th this is uh, Alan Dershowitz being an ass. And I just play an audio clip of Alan Dershowitz being an ass. Well, I have a, I have a clip that I want to play here. And it is of Alan Dershowitz being an ass. In fact, I'm, I'm going to play it after I read Technofog's article on this, which is titled, I might add, The Truth About Jeffrey Epstein, John Doe's, What the Media and Influencers, quote-unquote, are Getting Wrong. So I'm going to play this audio from Alan Dershowitz here. It was from four years ago. And he actually says to Laura, Laura Ingram on Fox News, I may have even played this audio long ago, but I'm going to play it again. But he actually said that, at no point were Al Gore or, or Bill Clinton on Epstein's island. He actually says it. I mean, everybody knows that Bill Clinton was on Jeffrey Epstein's island. <laughs> There's pictures of him there, for God's sakes. I mean, what is, what is, what is Alan Dershowitz actually thinking? He's not thinking. You got to keep in mind, this is the guy who got OJ off. I mean, he actually got OJ off after the jurors looked at, at pictures of Nicole Brown and Ron Goldman with their heads cut off, practically. So that's Alan Dershowitz in a nutshell. But let me get to this article here from Technofog. Again, this is from their Substack, The Reactionary. 
It says, quote, there's a certain level of difficulty in reporting on the Jeffrey Epstein and Ghislaine Maxwell saga, much of it having to do with the authorities, of what the authorities rather haven't revealed. The web of Epstein's network, much of it still secret. The ties to intelligence, of which documentary evidence is still hidden from the public. The internal deliberations that went on at Maine Justice in Washington, D.C., and Epstein got his sweetheart plea deal again not yet publicized. And to that false media's report and blatant, blatantly inaccurate social media posts that spring up every time there's a small development in any Epstein or Maxwell case. Like today, for example. The Daily Mail led the way reporting that a federal judge, quote, has ruled to unseal documents that would name 177 Doe's who are Epstein's friends, recruiters, and victims within the coming weeks, unquote. Then it says this was followed by a flurry of social media takes, especially on Twitter, promising there will be serious revelations from these records or claims that 177 Jeffrey Epstein high-profile associates will be revealed in the new year. Very quickly, again for me, I think this is another distraction, but I also think it could be a purposeful move to sort of turn the lights on in a room full of cockroaches. And just see who panics and, and, and see who, uh, you know, gets loud and, and jumps on TV and denies, denies, denies. And then everybody gets to see those people again. And again, like clockwork, Alan Dershowitz is almost always one of those people. And let me give you a quick example as to why this is always the case with Alan Dershowitz. Every single time that Epstein, an Epstein list or something along those lines makes its way to the headlines again, Alan Dershowitz always shows up on the Gateway Pundit or is always highlighted in an article by the Gateway Pundit as Alan Dershowitz being some legal authority on everything. And again, every single time that an Epstein story comes out, Alan Dershowitz always comes out of the woodwork to support Donald Trump or to support some blatantly obvious violation of the First Amendment. And so now all of a sudden we're all supposed to remember that Alan Dershowitz is a good guy, quote unquote. Again, he knows what he's doing. He's fully aware. This was the guy, again, this was the guy who was Jeffrey Epstein's lawyer. He was his defense lawyer. But again, if people can pay attention to these trends and these moves, it's like, oh, wait, you know, there's, there's another Epstein story. If you just wait like 10 seconds, sure enough, Alan Dershowitz will be somewhere saying something publicly on the record about something to, again, try to make him look like he's a, he's a good guy or a good person. It's just like clockwork, basically. It's, it's remarkably predictable, I think, at this point. But anyway, let me get back to this. It says, to explain what's really going on, allow us to provide some context. Back in February of 2023, the federal district judge overseeing Virginia Guffrey versus Delane Maxwell, the civil case brought against Maxwell by one of her victims, considered whether to publicly disclose the names of certain John Doe's. That came up during the course of that litigation. The attorneys for Guffrey and Maxwell put together a list of 167 John Doe's and provided descriptive references for each, which would allow the judge to determine which John Doe's should be unsealed and which ones should remain sealed. At the time, we reviewed the list of John Doe's and assigned them various categories 
including whether they were employees of Epstein, witnesses, or perpetrators, and whether their names were already known to the public. We were able to identify the most important alleged perpetrators and discuss these still-redacted facts surrounding their involvement with Epstein. We also made it clear that the majority of the John Doe's, approximately 100, had already been identified, whether through the media or court proceedings. Some had been interviewed by the media, their stories were already well known. We observed that many of the John Doe's were identified as not being involved in the more serious allegations against Epstein or Maxwell, and that there were no salacious allegations against these individuals, some of whom were doctors or acquaintances of the victims. In some instances, the John Doe's were actual potential victims of Epstein or Maxwell. And then he says, and now for today's developments, which of course was earlier this week. The judge has ordered the unsealing of names and materials related to some, but not all, of the 167 John Doe's, not 177 as has been reported and identified in the, in the list submitted to the court. It says, as we clarify last February, the John Doe's who were unsealed aren't Epstein's list, quote-unquote. Their names were referenced in any number of ways during the civil case, whether through depositions, medical records, the names of doctors, or in witness lists exchanged between the parties. To that we add a note of caution, witness lists can be very broad, and not all witnesses are material or have even basic information. I'm going to stop it there, there's not much more to go. But again, he, he lists a few of these John Doe's and basically again says that it was a person affiliated with an unknown person who was affiliated with this person. And it's just sort of this back and forth and this constant, this constant thing. It does say here that John Doe 058 is referenced in a letter submitted by counsel for Professor Alan Dershowitz. We suspect his identity may be disclosed in these quotes from the emails of Sarah, of Sarah Ransom. And it says, quote, in this deposition that's been blocked out, uh, some of it's been redacted. It says, quote, my friend had, a se had sexual intercourse with so-and-so. Sex tapes were, in fact, filmed on each separate occasion. I eventually managed to persuade her to send me some of the video footage which she kept, implicating all three all men. It says, I have backed up the video footage on several USB sticks and have secretly sent them to various different locations throughout Europe. Uh, exhibit 5, ransom underscore numbers, blah, blah, blah. And then it says, another friend one was one of the many girls that had a sexual relations with blank, blank. It continues to go on and gets a little sexually explicit, so I'm going to leave it there. But they're describing someone, and as Technofog points out, it's implicated that it's Alan Dershowitz. So again, does anybody actually believe that Alan Dershowitz is clean in this whole thing? You're talking about the guy who got OJ off and helped get OJ off, the guy who uh, represented Jeffrey Epstein. He's on footage, on video film, which is on the internet, of him talking to Epstein in one of Epstein's apartment buildings in New York City uh, with, with, a, with a, a sex blow-up doll in the background. But again. <laughs> Alan Dershowitz would make it sound like he's the perpetual victim. Oh, well, again, it's pretty stereotypical. I mean, he's pretty much checking every stereotype box you possibly can here. So, 
This might be the first installment of Alan Dershowitz is an ass. Allow me to play this, uh, this audio here. It's about six and a half minutes long. This is him on Laura Ingram's show on Fox News from four years ago. Give this a listen in three, two, one. Here now to respond is Harvard Law Professor Emeritus and author of the introduction of the published version of the Mother Report, Alan Dershowitz. Professor, good to see you tonight. Um, why Thank not you. fight this out in court in an effort to clear your name? Well, I am going to. I have to do two things. One, defend the First Amendment right of every American to respond to false charges. And second, if the case does go to court, to show that uh, she is a, a liar. Let me repeat categorically. She made up the whole story. I never met this woman. It was part of an extortion plot to obtain a uh, billion dollars from Leslie Wexner, a businessman, uh, the man who owns Victoria's Secret. Uh, her own lawyer admitted to me on tape that it would be impossible for me to have been in the various locations at those times and that his client is, quote, wrong, simply wrong. I commissioned an investigation from the former head of the FBI who concluded that uh, she was wrong. Uh, her own lawyers withdrew the charges, saying it was a mistake to uh, do so. Um, this same woman who accused me accused Bill Clinton and Al Gore and Tipa Gore of being on Jeffrey Epstein's island and the uh, reports of the Secret well, Service. Well, Bill Clinton did go to the, the island, statements. right? Yeah, Alan, Bill Clinton no, no, did he was never on the island. Uh, he, he never no, went on the island. He was never, never the there island. ever. No, he was never there. The, he issued a statement the other day saying he was never on the island, and Secret Service oh. records confirmed that he there was, was never discrepancies, on the island. Though, Alan. Wait, wait. There was discrepancies on other uh, on other matters with Bill Clinton. He said he was only on like two flights. Turns out, or four. It turns out there were six. I mean, he said Secret Service well, was always with him. It turns out they weren't always with him when he was on Epstein's plane. So well, let's talk I wouldn't. About, I wouldn't throw yourself in with let's, Bill Clinton on this. Uh, let's talk about Al Gore. Let's talk about yeah. Al Gore. Uh, she claimed that Alan Tipagore were on the island. Not only did Alan Tipagore not know uh, Jeffrey Epstein, but guess who Al Gore's lawyer was? David Boyes, the same lawyer who um, claims that this woman made these improper, uh, that there were improper sexual allegations. He could easily have just called his client. Al Gore and said, Al, were you ever on Jeffrey Epstein's island? And he would have told her what he's told everybody else. No, he was never on the island. He didn't know her at all. The interesting thing is that Epstein is being prosecuted now, and they're not using this witness. The FBI and the U.S. Attorney's Office are not using this witness. Does she have the same lawyer? Does she have the same lawyer? Does she have that same lawyer that you said you have on tape? Is he still representing her? Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's David Boyes who has and his law firm have yeah, one of the worst children. ethical yeah. records in the history of the United States. They have more ethical charges against them than any other well, it's a big major law firm. Law firm. Yeah, it's, a, it's a big law firm. It's a big firm, law firm, firm but yeah. he's the head. He's the, yeah. he's the head of the law firm. Uh, he was charged with unethical conduct in by the New York Times in the Weinstein case. He was charged with questionable conduct in the Theranos case. He has absolutely no credibility. But yeah. in this case, he knows that his client made up the whole story. And he told me that, and I have it on tape. Well, All I did was repeat 
basically on tape what he had told well, me. Well, that's devastating that if you have wrong, it. simply a, wrong. Yeah. It's devastating. Right, I do it, have it. it. I, I, and, and it'll be As a former defense yeah. attorney, if yeah. you so have the that story on tape, is that's a liar. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Journalist yeah. Vicki Ward uh, made this comment about, um, about uh, told, uh, that told Acosta would make, you would t you told uh, Acosta you would make mincemeat out of the women. Let's listen. The light that uh, the Miami Herald shed on the victims' stories that were incredibly poignant and incredibly credible. Remember, back in 2008, Alan Dershowitz told Alexandra Acosta, or, or, you know, and told journalists he was going to make mincemeat of these women. What does There's that no mean? Truth to that at all. We had no truth. I met with Acosta only once with a group of lawyers. There were probably 15 lawyers and FBI agents. They have notes. I'm sure it would confirm. I never said anything like that. What we did say was that there was no credible evidence that Epstein at that time had transported any underage woman in interstate uh, commerce, and that was required. By the way, Virginia Roberts was not underage. Uh, her own lawyer and she have all admitted now that she didn't start working for Epstein until she was uh, 17 years old, and that she doesn't even claim that she had sex with the numerous people. She claims she Do had I sex with former yeah. American congressmen until she was uh, well, well over age. So she's lied just about uh, everything. And of course, it's the job of the defense attorney yeah, well, to gonna, make sure the that case. the evidence is a based Alan, on credible evidence. I can't yeah. believe I don't know the answer to this question, but I don't. Do you still represent uh, you no. know, him? And when did you stop representing him? Epstein? No, I stopped representing him when the deal was made, and uh, I haven't seen him in years. And, you know, if his lawyers call me and ask me a question about the deal, of course, as a lawyer, I have to answer that question. Look, I was introduced to him by the Lady Rothschild. Uh, the people he hung out with at the time were the president of Harvard, the provost of Harvard. Yeah, My relationship with him places. was academic, was academic. We went to conferences. We had seminars in his office. None of us had any inkling that he had this other life. And as soon as we learned about it, obviously, uh, all of us ended any kind of a social relationship. I then became his lawyer. Uh, I'm proud yeah. of the fact that I represented right. him. I represented a lot of controversial people. And we got a deal. Some people criticize the deal, but you can't criticize the defense attorney for trying to get the best deal possible. But I want to categorically right. again state, I never met this woman. She made it up completely. I will continue to say that till the day I die. And when I die, right. my children will continue to say it. it's a total categorical lie. All right, Alan, we appreciate you coming on tonight. This story is sure. explosive, and the obviously the underlying allegations against Epstein are horrific. I uh, appreciate your joining us tonight. And that, ladies and gentlemen, was the first installment of Alan Dershowitz is an ass. Can you believe the gall of that dude? It's amazing. This has to be a, a, a characteristic, I'll call it, of, of a sociopath. Has to be. The, the way that he brings up other individuals and wealthy individuals that he knows and that he's rubbed shoulders with and elbows with and whatever else. I mean, he mentions Les Wexner, who is a massive criminal, massive criminal. And then, of course, he brings up Dylan Rothschild. Oh, Lady Rothschild. You see, I'm friends with Lady Rothschild, and everyone needs to understand that. We were all friends, and we all mingled with one another. And yes, Jeffrey Epstein was 
an academic, and we had an academic relationship, and as soon as we found out that there were no academic things taking place, well, we all ended our relationships with him. You've got to be kidding me. You have to be joking. They all knew what was going on. Are you telling me the Rothschilds didn't know what was going on? Shut up. Shut up, Alan. Again, just the louder he gets, the worse he sounds. The louder he gets and the angrier he gets, too. By the way, you can, I mean, you can imagine this guy very easily losing his temper and losing his temper around someone or anybody who is younger than him or being controlled in some way. I mean, you, can, you just get the vibe from him that he can go from zero to ten in an instant. I have no doubt about that. So he's already been named in some of these documents, at least according to Technofog there from my interpretation of it, allegedly, allegedly. And, uh, and it's beyond bizarre. So I hope, I hope he gets hung out to dry someday. And uh, everybody who has basically had him on their show for quote-unquote legal analysis, I mean, we know what they're all going to do. They're all going to take a back seat and say, well, we didn't know. We didn't know Alan was involved in this. We didn't know that he was flicking nipples and doing all kinds of things with little girls. We had no idea. And they're all going to say that. They're all going to say that. Now, again, who always has him on for legal analysis? You've got the Gateway Pundit. You've got Glenn Beck. You've got Fox News. Why? Why? Is there not another lawyer out there that you can talk with? To get some real objective legal analysis, why does it always have to be Dershowitz? Because he's tied in. The guy's tied in. He's got friends everywhere and endless people protecting him. Somebody's got to pull his card. I'm telling you, he's got to get his card pulled one of these days. Okay, enough of Alan, I think. I'm, I'm pretty much exhausted with him. Uh, let, me, let me read a little of this. This is alarming as well. Kind of reaches back into the illegal alien, uh, illegal invasion aspect of things going on here. And it seems rather convenient that such a thing would exist, certainly because it would be convenient for, well, the invasion and illegal aliens. This comes from activistpost.com, and it is titled, Self-Checkout Kiosks at 4,500 Walmarts Now Offer Buy now, pay later. Loans for basic items. Get a load of this. Buy now, pay later, BNPL, loans surged in popularity during Black Friday and Cyber Monday in late November. As Christmas is less than a week away, Walmart shoppers have been greeted with a new buy now, pay later payment at the checkout line. The increased use of BNPL is incredibly problematic for consumers with insurmountable credit card debt and depleted savings. Uh, again, I don't doubt that, but does Walmart think that they're doing people a favor with such a thing? I mean, maybe I'm looking at this wrong, but I just look at this through the lens of the fact that these illegal aliens have these $5,000 debit cards that they're given, and if they can read English, which I'm sure plenty of them cannot, uh, and, or if they choose the Spanish translation on the screen at, at a Walmart checkout, if there is such a thing, which there probably is, um, 
what, what, what I mean, what would keep them from just buying items and then never paying them back? I, I, I don't, uh, I don't get it. It continues though, and it says Affirm Holdings announced Tuesday that its BNPL service has been expanded to, to self-checkout kiosks at 4,500 Walmart stores nationwide. Customers can purchase electronics, apparel, toys, and many more items except groceries by spending, I'm sorry, by spreading payments out from three months to 24 months. It says, quote, recent Affirm research revealed that more than half of Americans, 54%, are looking for retailers to offer a buy now, pay later option at checkout. Moreover, we found that 76% of consumers would either delay or not make a purchase without a firm, said Pat Sue, a firm's SVP of revenue. Sue continued and said, quote, expanding our partnership with Walmart and bringing a firm's transparent monthly payover time options to their self-checkout kiosks is the, in the U.S. will help even more consumers increase their purchasing power during the holiday shopping season and beyond. A number of government agencies and even the Central Bank of Central Banks, Bank for International Settlements, have warned about the BNPL craze. Last month, the U.S. Office of, of the Comptroller of the Currency, OCC, the powerful federal banking regulator, sounded the alarm over increased usage of BNPL. OCC warned about the overuse of poor understanding of the BNPL payment structure, that could lead to disastrous outcomes for consumers if payments are missed. A report published earlier this month for the Bank of International Settlements said BNPL is mainly being used by young adults, particularly those with low education and maxed out credit cards. Other major retailers might follow Walmart's lead. It's never a good sign when retailers expand the purchasing power of broke consumers. Unquote. How about. And there's, there's also on Zero Hedge, too. Uh, again, <laughs> how about illegals? How about them, too? Uh, again, the fact that they're being given a five grand debit card that they're told has five grand on it, when in many cases it doesn't. And then, I, again, I, I really don't know how this whole system works because I've never tried it. I mean, you have to scan something, do you not? I mean, you have to scan a card of some kind, probably, in order for them to at least maintain your data to some extent, whether it's your name or, again, just a, a card that's associated with you, and then you make your purchases, and then it says, okay, don't forget it, you know, don't forget to pay us in two years. I mean, the illegal is going to be like, whatever, I'm not paying you, and then they leave. So I, it's basically just Walmart giving out free stuff to illegals. Am I wrong in that? Am I interpreting this completely wrong? I don't know. Again, I I understand that for a family who is needy and and you know maybe wants to purchase an item for someone during the holiday season here in the Christmas season, you know, okay, I guess that makes sense. But how many people are doing that as opposed to showing up and stealing? I mean, doesn't that basically just invite that kind of behavior? Again, I I don't know. But there's a little homework project for everybody. Check out and see if they have the buy now, pay later option on the, uh, on the kiosk at a Walmart near you. Who knows? Very strange. 
Let me mention this too, now that I can sort of slide into the education avenue here. Um, Jesse James reached out to me the other day, and he said that the Truth for Oxford group, and Kristen Carr specifically, has a lot more information regarding the Oxford School District. I'm going to leave it at that for now, but I have a feeling that there's some pretty good stuff that's about to come out here regarding what Oxford is actually covering up in their school district. And again, I, I don't want to give anything away. I'd rather listen to Kristen Carr's take on everything that's taking place, but Jesse says that maybe we're going to have another episode on his channel over there on Rumble, on the Dangerous Info podcast here in the new year. And uh, yeah, look out for that because wow, I got to tell you, there, there's there's way more going on at that Oxford School District than what meets the eye, and no wonder that they want to just move on as quickly as humanly possible and act like nothing was, you know, no, act like nothing's happening there and act like everybody's the victim and, you know, we're all in this together. No, a lot of dirty things going on there. I'm afraid. So yeah. Just keep keep your eyes open for that one, and I'll certainly make mention of it before it happens and as it happens and so on and so on. Okay, uh, I've got one education story here, and frankly, this pretty much sums up the entire 2023 year in one story, I think. And uh, yeah, here it is. This is from the epilocalnews.org if I'm getting that right, or Eden Prairie Local News, as it's called. And the story is titled, Threats, Pornography Disrupt Elementary School Zoom Call. Threats and Pornography Disrupt an Elementary School Zoom Call. <laughs> why? I mean, why not? Why not at this point? <laughs> Here we go. It says, on Tuesday, December 19th, Oak Point Elementary students and staff celebrated the school's recent winning of a National Blue Ribbon Award with an upbeat school assembly and flag-raising ceremony in the gym. Uh, stereotypical. Let's pat ourselves on the back and give ourselves an award right before the whole house caves in. What should have been a purely and happy celebration of academic ex excellence took a disturbing turn for viewers who joined a Zoom call to livestream the event. Always a huge mistake. It says these included Oak Point staff, parents, some students, and as it turns out, unknown persons of, with ill intent. A little Zoom bombing going on here. It says one user said explicitly sexual things and then posted pornographic images in the chat. Another posted a bomb and shooting threat. One of these users also verbally issued a bomb threat to Oak Point School. It says this content was seen and heard by viewers, including staff and some young students who were watching the ceremony on Zoom in their classrooms. This is out of Minnesota, if memory serves. It says in response, teachers reportedly muted the Zoom, blocked the screen, or turned off the call once they realized what was happening but not before some students saw explicit images and heard explicit language. Now, <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry. I know, I know people are going, wow, that's really horrible and what, you know, traumatic for those kids. And yes, I mean, I get it. However, let's inject a little levity in this situation. Can you imagine, just for a minute, 
<laughs> being in the room when this happens and you're watching it as sort of a as a third party, just as an onlooker, a fly on the wall. And all these educators and administrators and award givers and receivers just start panicking, running around, scrambling, somebody yells, turn it off, quick. Somebody jumps in front of the screen, tries to hide the camera. I mean, what, what chaos, <laughs> what absolute chaos. Just, I love it. I love it. These dummies, they have no idea what they're inviting on a constant basis. They can't just give each other awards in, in some quiet ceremony in the school. They've all they gotta be tech savvy. They gotta do whatever they can to publicize it and put it out there and get as much attention as humanly possible and let's zoom call and we'll live stream it and lots of people will be able to participate because we're all in this together and nothing terrible ever happens. And then this entire cave-in occurs. This right here again, not just exemplifies the entire 2023 year in a nutshell as to what's going on in American education, but it really highlights what's going on in the mind or not going on in the mind of the people who run these buildings. They are the least vigilant, the most reckless, and this isn't going to get better with time. That's like asking a carton of milk in the back of your fridge to get better with every passing day. <laughs> it just isn't going to be the case. How much more proof do people need? Well, they weren't expecting that, Sean. Go easy on them. They weren't expecting that, and they're professionals, and they're just trying to do their job. That's the problem. They're trying to do their job. And they can't even do that. And what their job is asking of them, or what they think their job is asking of them, is asinine. Ridiculous. But to be a fly on the wall in that room, I'd have paid to be there. Just to watch them scramble. Jump on, again, all of them jump on top of the computer while the audio is still playing. Then somebody yells out, pull the cord, turn off the speakers. And then they, and they just, then they start covering kids' eyes and covering kids' ears. Too funny, too funny. Police were called, it says, to the school to investigate. And the school's technology department reportedly quickly determined that the IP addresses of the users who posted the content were from out of state. It's unclear how the users obtained the Zoom link, the Zoom link but the link was not password protected and did not require an access code. There you go. A school district with children's personal information on it. And they don't even have a password or, a or any kind of protection or access code for their Zoom link. What could possibly go wrong? Meanwhile, it says, the assembly led by Chris Rogers, Oak Point's principal, was already taking place, with most of the school unaware of what was unfolding on Zoom. Hilarious. Hilarious. Students and staff celebrated, and Superintendent Josh Swanson and Associate Superintendent Calandra Hines were also present to honor the school. Grace Becker, Director of Marketing and Communications for Eden Prairie Schools, said there was no lockdown or change to the school day and things continued as normal. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
How do you continue things as normal after that? How does that happen? Okay, everybody, back to class. Yes, you just saw pornography, and yes, there was cursing and a thousand other things, but, you know, head on back to language arts. How, how, do, you, how do you go back to normal after this? What, what is normal? Is this normal? Nothing's normal about these places. It says, however, some parents who were on the Zoom call and saw and heard the threats or heard about them from friends or on social media came to the school to pick up their children early out of concern. Yeah. Yeah. Good call. Now, why would you ever send them back? They can't run a Zoom call. <laughs> I mean, wrap your head around that. These people can't run a Zoom call. But you leave your children with them and you think that they can, they can do what? Protect children? Here's the school and district response, it says. I bet this will be rich. Rogers sent a message to families via the district's talking point system at about 1.45 p.m. that read, quote, We are aware that an unknown person or persons using an IP address out of state accessed our Blue Ribbon Ceremony Zoom call this afternoon and said concerning things including threatening violence at school. Rogers also said, quote, as soon as we became aware of this content, we ended the call immediately. In fact, the Zoom call remained open and accessible to anyone with the link until it ended at 2 p.m. <laughs> That's great. However, district spokesperson Becker said that teachers shut down their end of the call as soon as possible. Oh, I'm sure there was lots of panic. And the school had been trying to shut down the entire call without success. How many students heard the threats or witnessed the explicit content is unclear, Rogers said. Quote, our teachers had the Zoom call playing in their classrooms so students could see the flag be raised. And, and, and oh my God, this is incredible. And, and though some teachers had their volume off, some of our students may have heard what was said. This was broadcast in every classroom in the entire school. Beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. About 10.15 p.m. Tuesday, Rogers emailed Oak Point families to inform them that the police had, been, had deemed the threats to be non-credible. His email was sent jointly with Hernan Estrada, principal of Eagle Heights Spanish uh, Emerson, which shares a building with Oak Point. The email said, quote, as always, we are grateful for our strong relationship with the Eden Prairie Police Department who were alerted as soon as this incident took place. As of this evening, the police department has deemed this to be a non-credible threat, though they continue to investigate the source. As always, we will have a juvenile liaison officer presence in and around our schools tomorrow and through the rest of the week. Unquote. This, this goes on. I'm going to finish this. Parents express frustration and concern. I'm sure they do. And then they'll send them right back, right after Christmas break. It says, quote, Some Oak Point parents express frustration that the incident was able to happen in the first place. Uh-huh. Yeah. Quote, Why was this not a secure thing? Who knows who these people were and what kind of sick person does this? Unquote, one person said. The parent added, that their child heard explicit content and saw an extremely graphic image on, on the Zoom call. 
Other parents echoed the concern about security, saying, quote, why didn't they use better technology to make sure the Zoom call was secure and better controlled? If the school wanted to share the link with the community, there should have been an access code and password, unquote. No shit. I got a better idea. How about you just don't do it? How about you stop wasting your time patting yourselves on the back and you teach these children to critically think, read, and write English? How about you do that? We're raising a flag and getting an award and patting ourselves on the back and congratulating each other because that's what we're known for and that's what we do. It's brainwashing and gaslighting to trick everybody into the, in the building into believing that they are morally sound, good people, and yet they can't dot their I's and cross their T's properly when it comes to technology use. Keep in mind, these are the same school districts that will throw a kid out of their district for looking something up that they shouldn't be looking up on a computer or bar them from using computers ever again, and yet the district opened themselves up to the possibility of something like this happening, and then it did happen, and no one's going to be held accountable. They're just going to chalk this up to being some horrific accident that occurred from outside of the state, and we had nothing to do with it. They're completely responsible. It says the Zoom call, it continues, lacked the security measures that would have limited or prevented attendees from accessing the call, turning on their cameras, talking, or posting in the chat. The same parent said that she was concerned that the bomb and shooting threats were not being taken seriously enough and that she wished that there had been better and more detailed and substantial communication to parents who were not on the Zoom call. Instead, she said, parents had to rely on their children and social media for information about what happened. And then here comes the district apology, and they reiterate their commitment to student safety. Do you see why this exemplifies everything that we've experienced here pretty much throughout 2023? They're back to the old line. Safety and security of students is our number one concern. It says, quote, on behalf of the school district, Becker said, quote, we absolutely, we are absolutely sorry this happened. We do our best to avoid situations like that. He said that or she, whoever this person is, again. No. No, you don't. They then said when this occurs, or when they occur, rather, we do our best to support students who might have been affected. We will learn from this moving forward and put extra safeguards in place to prevent outside actors from accessing virtual events. No. Just don't have them anymore. No more Zoom calls, you dummies. Don't do virtual events. They aren't, they're not learning their lesson here. It's amazing. They continued. She added, quote, student safety is our first priority, period. We take these things very seriously, even when we have proof to show that these were outside actors from other states, unquote. If we all had a dollar, for every time we've just heard that first sentence. The dollars we would have. It continues, because why not? In this email, Rogers suggested parents and guardians could talk to their children about what happened and reassure them 
that they would be safe at school. Quote, we know hearing a message like this can be scary for children, and you may wish to have a conversation with your child if they were concerned by what they heard or saw, Rogers said. Please reassure them that our school leaders and local law enforcement officers quickly helped and that they are safe at school, unquote. Becker said that in response to this incident, counselors and social workers would be available to support students if needed. There you go. More counselors and social workers for everybody. It wraps up. My God. It says, quote, As students return to school tomorrow, the leaders will have a good sense of what students might be experiencing. If a need is sensed for that extra support, we absolutely will provide it, she said, unquote. These are the dumbest humans on the face of the planet. Unbelievable. Back to the drawing board. Can't wait for our next Zoom call. I hope somebody Zoom bombs them. Do it again. Just do it again. They're not learning their lesson. Do it again. It's amazing. Okay, moving on here. Jab-related things. I want to make a, a quick compliment to an individual here, and, it, and it's really been interesting watching their evolution and watching their learning process. And it has to do with Stu Peters. I applaud this man. I do. He's doing, he's doing very good work, and the man continues to wake up, and he's continuing to wake up. And he's recognizing, which is something I'm going to mention here toward the end, but he's recognizing, I think, that he is chosen. And I mean that literally. I think that God has clearly chosen him to not be bought off, not be sold, and say things like much of what you hear here, of course, but say things in the face of the individuals who refuse to say them. I watched his show the other night, and he is not backing down from, of course, anything jab-related, and he's not backing down from anything that has to do with Zionism. He is full bore stepping on the throat of satanic Zionists, which is redundant, but he's flat out going after them, and he's not holding back. And again, he was on Alex Jones not that long ago. And you could see Alex Jones just panicking when Stu was bringing all of this up, saying, why can't we say their name? Why can't we call them out? Why can't we describe the history? Why can't we go down these rabbit holes? of who these people are and what, and what they do and what they worship and what's going on. I love it. I absolutely love it. And I, I want to make mention of this too. I reached out to Stu Peters because I was interested in him at least talking about the Epic system and the Epic computer system. I think this is a big deal. I still think it's a big deal. And again, it's not just because I wrote one Substack article about it. I think this is a huge deal. This computer fraud database can't be singular to just even the EPIC system. This has to be something that is across the board. But I emailed Stu Peters, haven't heard anything back. I said, give this a read, look into this, ask around. I'm sure you've got lots of nurse friends and people you've communicated with in the past. Reach out to them and see if any of this is hinky to you, because it certainly seems to be. So we'll see what he says. We'll see if he responds. He may not, but I'm proud of him. He's learning. And he's openly, he's, he's, he's even created some mashups of when he was on uh, Alex Jones's show. And he's bringing up Zionism and Satanic Jews and the whole thing. And Alex is pushing back on him. 
And now he's creating these shorts of where uh, these little short videos where it's really making Alex Jones look like he's completely controlled, which he has to be. He has to be. If he would, if he wasn't controlled, he would be far more objective from a historic standpoint regarding a number of different things. But see, he'll have on somebody like Nick Fuentes on on his show, Alex Jones will, and then he'll just assume, well, look, it's a free speech platform. I've got Nick Fuentes on talking about this, that, and the other. So there, everybody, you can't criticize me for X, Y, Z. Now, people can still criticize you because you still, for some reason, lump in uh, Adolf Hitler with, with Mao Zedong and, uh, and Joseph Stalin. They were, they were nothing alike. They were polar opposites. Adolf Hitler didn't kill his own people. He never, he, never, he never mentions that. He never dives into the real history of it because he's afraid of losing whatever, losing his funding, losing an audience. Stu's not afraid of that. Stu's figuring out the truth about a great many things and continues to do so. You see, that's the person you want to be around when the shooting starts. I know I've criticized Stu Peters in the past. In fact, in a previous episode, full disclosure, I think I said something that was the exact opposite maybe like six to nine months ago. I said Stu Peters is the kind of person who, of course, criticizes the Q movement and that positive psychological operation. But he would be the kind of person where if the shooting starts, I said this again a long time ago, that he would be the one to cut and run. He'd, be, he'd protect his family in his own home, and you know that would be the end of it. Uh, again, full disclosure, I guess that's okay to some extent. But at the same time, I'm glad that he's continuing to learn and be as objective as possible here. The rabbit holes are far deeper than I think any of us can possibly imagine. Now we just have to get him to stop criticizing the Q movement and saying, trust the plan, trust the plan, and all this other horse shit that got brought up in those, in those Q drops that he misinterpreted. Because as we all know, and I've read, the, I've read the drop specifically, there's more than one, it doesn't ever say in those Q drops to sit on your ass and do nothing. Look at what that's done. Look at what that whole movement did. It woke up endless people on endless subjects. Again, it didn't tell us that we should just sit around, trust a plan, and do nothing. No, quite the opposite. In fact, by default, you can't learn what those posts have been teaching people over the years and not get active and not get motivated. It, 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 it causes a person, as you've heard me say before, shed their skin and actually become closer to God. Do you think God wants us to be fearful, trust government, and sit on our couch and do nothing? No, of course not. Of course not. So the more skin that Stu Peter sheds, the better, because he's, he's showing himself to be someone who's on our side, which, again, I think is a good thing. Again, you hear Tucker Carlson talk with John Daly and Kid Rock about Donald Trump. You know, I think that serves a purpose, too. It's, it's low-hanging fruit. You know, Tucker Carlson has low-hanging fruit conversations with a great many people, but you have to consider something. And, and again, look at it multidimensionally, I think. Tucker Carlson still has a Fox News audience that clings to him. 
I mean, these individuals, again, who, who listened to Tucker Carlson and, I mean, I saw one guy, he was rather pathetic, but I saw one guy tell Tucker uh, at some speech that he was giving in a Q&A, he goes, yeah, Tucker, you know, me and my buddies, we all get together and we watch Tucker Carlson, you know, and we all get together and we watch you on X every single time an episode comes out. And I'm saying to myself, you're like fanboys. It's a bit strange. It's a little weird, kind of gay, but you know, whatever. I mean, these are guys that probably used to gather around and watch Hannity at some point. Or, or they, you know, they used to watch Fox News, but they don't anymore because they saw the way that they treated Tucker and, you know, now Tucker's not there. Tucker has an audience that is an old Fox News audience. And if he's waking some people up to some things, then great. I mean, th- th- that's fine. But Tucker is on a separate dimension. I, I think he's on a lower dimension than, say, a Stu Peters. And I would put Alex Jones again, and Steve Bannon, and Jack Posobiec, who I don't care for, and, and a lot of those guys. I'd put them basically all on a particular dimension, but I've got Stu Peters at a higher dimension. And I like that. That's good. Again, Stu Peters has a lot of great, really in-depth people on his show, like Karen Kingston and a thousand other people. But, uh, but I, I applaud him. He's doing, a, he's doing a very good job, and I hope he keeps it up, and I hope he doesn't back down. I just wish that he'd open up his mind a little bit to how people learn. I mean, I, I happen to be, I'm not going to say an expert, but I happen to know a great deal, as you might imagine, as to how people learn and how they learn best. And, and they don't learn best by spitting in their face when they're learning. And you can't say that the Q drops didn't teach you something. And you can't say that those Q drops didn't teach the world a great deal about what goes on in the world and what goes on with politicians. So that's where Stu's making a mistake. Now, we know why Alex Jones criticizes the Q drops. It's because he was called out in the Q drops as, as being funded by either Mossad or people linked with Mossad or, or whatever it is. I have no reason to doubt the Q drops regarding that, but that's why Alex Jones is sour on it. I think Stu Peters is sour on it because he's never actually read the drops. I don't think Stu Peters followed the drops as they were happening. Because if you were doing that, I'm telling you, as I did, it's unmistakable. And it's even, again, multidimensional. You've heard me say not every single one of those drops over the course of all of those years from October of 2017 up until last year, that not all of those drops are meant for us. Not all of those drops are meant to make sense for us. There's way more going on in those drops than we're ever going to know. And that's okay. That's okay. We get to not understand all of it, but to not examine them and then criticize it, and then double down and criticize the people who paid attention to it when it was happening, that right there is not how people learn. That's a bit foolish. So, you know, don't criticize people for learning. I'm certainly not criticizing Stu Peters for learning. He's continuing to learn, and I love it. Just keep going. Keep doing it. And hell, have me on your show. So we can go over this epic thing and maybe bring some more attention to the epic thing. He's got, a, he's got a bigger audience than this one. I'm not begging to be on his show. I don't care one way or another. But I think it's a big deal. In fact, that leads me to this. This was a comment that was left under my last episode 
on BitChute, and this individual stated the following. They said, quote, Penn State Health just took over the hospital where I work, and we are going from Epic to Cerner right now. That's an interesting move. Because based on Epic, it seemed like Epic was either buying up Cerner locations or buying up Cerner as a whole. And now this individual is saying that they're going from Epic back to Cerner. And I simply responded and said, any information you can provide me, please do. If you have anything strange or notice any consistent unethical inputs on that computer program like Cerner, let me know. Or frankly, any other intel you may have, thanks. And I gave him my email, AmericanEducationFM at ProtonMail.com. So yeah, we are in this one together. It is war, after all, and the, and the battlefield is ever-present. There are numerous battlefields, lots of people on them. But one of the lessons, I think, throughout 2023 is we're seeing who's willing to, you know, who is basically cutting and running away from particular topics and who isn't. You know, you, you can't call yourself a speech a free speech platform and limit what people say. That's not that's not what that is. You can't cut people off if you're taking phone calls because they say something that you disagree with or they criticize something for which you might not even know anything about regarding a, a specific subject on something. I, I've always found it absolutely hilarious and remarkably dismissive when everybody goes, Yeah, Stalin and Hitler. Stalin, Hitler, Hitler, and Stalin. They're, they were the same. They fought each other. They fought against each other. Does everybody just forget that? <laughs> it's nuts. I don't, <laughs> I don't understand it. But again, I think it just shows a, a lack of thinking and a lack of dot connecting. And they don't want to admit that they're wrong on, on certain issues. I, yeah, I, I think it's pathetic. Anywho, let me move on to this now. You may recall that I earlier brought up how Mike Yeadon was calling out Robert Malone and basically saying that Robert Malone should know better, that he should know how the FDA actually operates and that the FDA was not skirting particular issues or that it wasn't some you know lapse of judgment on the FDA's part regarding the shots and the ingredients of the shots and I'm sure a variety of other issues. But he called him out. And then Robert Malone responded by basically telling him to shut the fuck up. Um, and, and that's basically it. Well, Sasha Latipova on her substack, which is called Due Diligence and Art, or sashalatipova.substack.com, has, of course, as one might expect, being objective as she is, sided with uh, Mike Eden, uh, uh, you know, r- regarding Robert Malone in this particular issue. Uh, again. Robert Malone's exposed himself. He's the only one suing people for criticizing him. So was Simone Gold. I mean, if we go back two, three years, even four years ago, and it, I mean, it really has been that long, uh, and I can't believe that time flies like this, but if we go back all those years, it's, it's astounding, is it not, how we were paying very close attention to what these people were saying. But certainly, and I wasn't the only one, there were lots of us who were noticing the inconsistencies of what these people were saying. That these are the so-called quote-unquote experts, and yet there's lots of topics they weren't bringing up and lots of things they weren't talking about. And why is that? 
again, the, the Dr. Golds of the world and a thousand other people. Well, again, all time is revealing here. It, it really is. And here's what Sasha Latipova has said. So she posted those particular comments, Mike Yeadon's comment first and then uh, Robert Malone's. And then she said, oh, the other side says you don't understand an STFU, duly noted. She said, I think Dr. Yeadon understands very well what is going on and think, and think he understands too well for Robert Malone's liking. And that's why the response, full of, let's say, hate and hyperbole, but no actual rebuttal or an explanation of what exactly is incorrect. Making a big show on social media asking question, quote, why is FDA silent, unquote, that were asked and clearly answered by the FDA and by federal judges for three plus years and pretending that this time it's different points to several possible scenarios and combinations thereof. And she goes through a few. So allow me to read this very quickly. Her first point is, she says, severe incompetence of those quote-unquote experts who keep up this theater. It is possible that they do not understand how this crime is being committed and by whom, and it is possible that they did not see the previous answers by the FDA even in court depositions and are not aware of the decisions by federal judges in key cases and do not understand the current U.S. law and never heard of EUA countermeasures while working for DOD and DTRA and getting paid to make countermeasures. Possible, but not likely. And if this is the case, then why are they still, why are they called experts again, she says? She then says, her second point, purposeful stalling and diversion playing on the fact that the general masses do not pay attention to much and view em every empty jab bad, quote-unquote, or FDA bad, quote-unquote, or Pfizer bad, quote-unquote, pronouncement as a sign of progress, and that their favorite shiny talking head on the internet is fighting for their health freedom. And then the third point she makes, since we are in election years, or elections year, she says, you have to keep in mind she's not English, so when she types it, uh, it doesn't always read clearly. Either way, um, she says, spinning the narrative in support of whoever political campaign they are aligned with. Yeah, no kidding. Again, only one person has friends in three-letter agencies, and it's not Mike Eden, it's, it's Robert Malone. That's beyond suspicious. It then, she then wrote this. She says, for everyone's information, including Dr. Robert Malone's, I think he was asking why the FDA is not addressing product adulteration. The FDA has inspected Moderna's manufacturing facilities back in September and found numerous violations and issued an angry form uh, 483, which means Moderna is not CGMP compliant and has never been. The contents of this form are still secret. Interestingly, it is Reuters that is trying to FOIA it. It says it will interest everyone involving involved rather to know that the FDA conducted similar inspections of of Catalent Moderna's fill finish contractor and uh let's see Rentsler no way I get that right Pfizer's active substance supplier in 2021 and 2022 and in all cases found them non CGMP compliant did anything happen after these 
shocking findings by the FDA. You guessed correctly if you guessed not a thing. EUA countermeasures are not regulated in enforceable manner by the FDA. They are inspected and accepted, quote-unquote, by BARDA, B-A-R-D-A, which has nothing to do with the FDA. And as non-investigational chemical entities, they can be legally misbranded and adulterated. Lot release testing does not apply to them, as Dr. Marks stated in court deposition. Dr. Malone can easily look up the relevant part of the law. So why are big experts asking the same damn question over and over again and expecting a different answer? That quote is misinterpreted, misattributed rather, to Einstein, by the way. I don't think this is a sign of insanity. Nobody involved in this is stupid or making mistakes. Clearly, all these near misses, quote unquote, from the truth are designed to nearly miss the truth as long as possible while the global prison is being constructed. My other posts on the irrelevance of the FDA regulations for EUA countermeasures under public health emergency are below, where she wrote numerous other articles about it, and she links all of them. Yeah, she's right. She's honing in on the fact that the the people like Malone, who aren't saying too much different from one day to the next, are either controlled to only say a certain amount of things, or they are just stupid, and they don't want to look into what the real answers are. Therein lies the issue. And these are the people, again, that we have to essentially highlight, write their names on a list, keep that list over to the side, and then add to the list whenever these people expose themselves for not, for not uh, bringing up new information that is ahead of the curve, tip of the spear kind of stuff. I think Sasha Latipova is one of those people. Uh, Karen Kingston is one of those people, in my humble opinion. I think that, uh, who else? The list is long. Catherine Watt is one of those individuals. I like Todd Callender. He does good work. Um, and I like Stu Peters as a host because he, he can have these people on to discuss these kinds of matters. And, and I don't think that he's afraid to do that. He's, he certainly has proven to not be. so. There you go. But I, I think 2024 is going to continue to expose a great deal of people regarding a great deal of issues. Again, what they're willing to talk about, what they're not willing to talk about, where they're willing to go, what they're willing to, to dig into and not dig into. Again, I like Renette Sunham too. Same thing with her. She's doing great work. Dr. Mihalcha, Anna Mihalcha, she's doing great work too. Um, you know, the list is endless. Our Michigan business owner is doing a great job on her, sub, on, on, uh, on her substack, Chemtrails, chemtrails.substack.com. Which, by the way, she was telling me some stories uh, of some family members who were, you know, unfortunately in some dire straits regarding the jabs. And I really do feel for these people. I truly do. I mean, it really is showing a level of closed-mindedness among individuals who are, who are ill. And yet they are around family members who are not. And they're not asking the well family members why they are well. What is it that they are doing to, to maintain their wellness? And uh, it, it really is alarming. But this, it, it, this gets me into kind of the last thing I wanted to bring up here before I read you the history yet again 
of the song Silent Night and play my favorite rendition of it, which I will conclude the episode with. But I wanted to mention this first. I came across a guy on YouTube who is an African pastor, and I'm going to try to get his name here correctly. And again, I, I can't speak for everything that he does. I, I, don't, I don't know him personally, clearly. But it is Ms. M-I-Z, Mizwaki Tancredi is his name. Again, I don't know anything about him other than the fact that uh, he's clearly a biblical scholar and he, and he knows a great deal about it. I came across a couple of videos of him describing being chosen and what that means and what occurs in the lives of the people who have been chosen by God to take a separate step away from the masses. And if memory serves in Matthew 22, I think 22, 14, I could have that wrong, but I think it's Matthew 22, certainly. It says something along the lines of, many are called upon, but only a few are chosen. He describes what it's like to be chosen by God, to understand that the chosen have a mission, and that that mission is specific, and that they will know what it is. and that they're basically being hand-selected by God to do a great many things. And one of those, of course, certainly based on everything that we've experienced over the last endless years, frankly, is to wake people up, to educate people, to protect people, uh, to, again, educate them to the point where they can protect themselves and shed the skin that they have had on them for quite some time. Because among the chosen, we have shed our skin. And I'm putting myself in this category because when you hear this individual describe what occurs with the chosen, it makes complete sense. So I would encourage you to look him up on YouTube if you can and watch the videos where he's talking about like the top three or the top five things that occur among the chosen. I'll give you a couple of examples, and I've brought these up on the show before and even played audio from other individuals on the show regarding this. One of the things that he describes is, is he says that God isn't going to make things easy for everybody, that the chosen are going to go basically to hell from an experience standpoint. They're going to see what hell looks like, they're going to feel it, and then they're going to be pulled out for the purpose of not being the same person ever again in a good way. And that when that happens, your appetites for numerous things change. The things that you used to like, you don't like anymore. And that's a good thing. The people that you used to hang out with, or the kinds of people you used to hang out with, you, you instantly lose your appetite for those kinds of people. Places maybe where you used to go. Uh, wh whatever it may be. Particular activities you used to engage in. They bring you no pleasure. In fact, they bring you the exact opposite. The, the very thought of them can bring disgust. I'm certain that many of us feel that way and know that to be true. What he says, and I agree with him, is that that's God telling us that he has us and that we're okay. And that he's done this to us on purpose. Yes, it was painful, but what isn't? And when you come out of it, you're fearless. Nothing scares you anymore, as even he describes. He just tells you that nothing scares you anymore. 
You can walk into a room, not not have a, a shaky voice, look the enemy right in the face, call them names, tell them exactly who they are, call them out for the for the horrible people that they are, and be fearless in doing it, and then not even be fearful about any repercussion whatsoever. And again, he's a hundred percent right. Now, I'm not tooting my own horn, I'm just saying that I put myself in that category because that's that's what describes me and has described me for a very long time. I just like the way that he put it because I heard the way that he put it and I thought, yeah, that makes total sense. And sometimes that's all it takes. You may recall again, I was playing I played a, a piece of audio on the show a while back. It was many months ago, but it was a woman, she was in her car and she was recording herself and she was talking about how she she flew to a friend's house. And she said the entire airport just disgusted her and the, 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 the lights and the TVs and the sports and all of it was just disgusting and exhausting to her. She said, we all, we all went out, a group of girlfriends, we all went out to a bar and a restaurant. She goes, it was loud. Everybody was loud, obnoxious. She goes, I ended up going home because I was just, it was overwhelming. It made no sense to me. I don't, I don't know why these people do this anymore. There's way more serious things taking place. She was talking about being on a different dimension and being in a completely different dimension of thought in a total different wavelength than the people that she was still hanging out with and associating with. That's not an accident. She's an example of someone who has been chosen. She's been chosen for whatever is coming next. And hey, I'm fine with it. Because again, we wear the armor of God all of the time. And that brings a great deal of comfort. So it doesn't mean that we don't have to be vigilant. It doesn't mean that we don't have to have our head on a swivel or you know know our surroundings. It actually means that we know our surroundings. We are vigilant. We do have our head on a swivel. We're looking out for the well-being of ourselves and other people. But we also understand that we're walking among people in this matrix as we, of course, are not in the matrix, but unfortunately, we're still around numerous individuals who are, that that alone brings its own level of danger, and that we need to be aware of that. So, again, his name is Ms. Mizwaki, uh, I'm sorry, Tancredi. If you just type in Ms., you'll, you'll see it in the, in, the search, in the search link there. But again, you can, you know, feel free, again, I, I don't know everything about the guy, so, you know, if, uh, if, if some weird stuff pops up or, or whatever, so be it. But again, he, he specifically talks a great deal about, like, for example, one of these videos is titled, Three Reasons Why God Isolates the Chosen Ones. It's fantastic. There's another 17-minute video of him describing five things that always happen to the chosen. It really is fa- it's fascinating stuff, and I agree with him on that, no doubt about it. And he references the Bible throughout and particular passages and stories from individuals. It's very well done. So there you go. I hope we're all in that boat, and I hope we're all in that, uh, in that ship together, and we're all wearing the armor of God, because we're going to need it. We're just going to need it, certainly for what's occurring uh, this upcoming year, and of course the things that go on on a day-in and day-out basis. So there you go. Okay. Silent night, ladies and gentlemen. Here we go.
The origin of the world's most famous Christmas carol, Silent Night, or Steelnacht Heilnacht, if I'm saying that correctly, and how it was composed overnight is fascinating. Let's see here. How poetry by Joseph Moore, set to the music composed overnight by Franz Gruber, became famous worldwide. It says the following. In 1818, a roving band of actors was performing in towns throughout the Austrian Alps. On November 23rd, they arrived in Oberndorf, a village near Salzburg, where they were to reenact the story of Christ's birth in the small church of St. Nicholas. Unfortunately, the St. Nicholas's church organ wasn't working and would not be repaired before Christmas. I believe it was because of a flood. Some people say it was uh, that rust was the culprit. Uh, some people say it was mice. I could have sworn in a past year I came across a story where it, it had flooded and been damaged in some way. Either way, it says because the church organ was out of commission, the actors presented their Christmas drama in a private home. That Christmas presentation of the events of the first chapters of Matthew and Luke put assistant pastor Joseph Moore on a meditate in a meditative mood. Instead of walking straight home that night, Moore took a longer way to his house. The longer path took him up on a hill overlooking the village. From that hilltop, Moore looked down on a peaceful snow-covered village. Reveling in the majestic silence of a wintry night, Moore gazed down at the Christmas card-like scene. His thoughts about the Christmas play he had just watched made him remember a poem that he had written a couple of years before. That poem was about the night angels announced the birth, the night that angels, rather, announced the birth of the long-awaited Messiah to shepherds on a hillside. Moore decided that those words might be a good carol for his congregation, and following evening, and the following evening, at their uh, Christmas Eve service. It says the one problem was that he didn't have any music to which the poem could be sung. If I'm not mistaken, uh... I think either Moore or Gruber, one of the two, was also a school teacher, if memory serves. But it says, so the next day, Moore went to see the church organ, organist, Franz Xavier Gruber. Gruber had only a few hours to compose a melody that could be played on a guitar. However, by that evening, Gruber had managed to compose the music setting for the poem. That the church organ was inoperable no longer mattered to Moore and Gruber. They now had a Christmas carol that could be sung without an organ. On Christmas Eve, the small Orbendorf, Obendorf congregation heard Gruber and Moore sing their new composition to the accompaniment of Gruber's guitar. Weeks later, well-known organ builder Carl Marocker arrived in Obendorf to fix the organ in St. Nicholas Church. When Marocker finished, he stepped back to let Gruber test the instrument. When Gruber sat down, his fingers began playing the simple melody that he had written for Moore's Christmas poem. Deeply impressed, Marocker took copies of the music and words of Silent Night back to his own alpine village, Capfing. There, two well-known families of singers, the Rainiers and the Strassers, yes, very well-known, no doubt, uh, heard it. And captivated by Silent Night, both groups put the new song into the Christmas season repertoire. The Strasser sisters spread the carol across northern Europe, and in 1834 they performed Silent Night for King Frederick William IV of Prussia. He liked it so much that he ordered his cathedral choir to sing it every Christmas Eve. 
hopefully he asked them nicely and didn't threaten them with anything. <laughs> Sing it or die. Yikes. Anyway, it says 20 years after Silent Night was written, the Rainiers brought the song to the United States, singing the original German version at New York City's Trinity Church. In 1863, nearly 50 years after being sung in German, Silent Night was translated into English by either Jane Campbell or John Young. Eight years later, the English version made its way into print in Charles Hutchins' Sunday School Hymnal. Today, the words of Silent Night are sung around the world in more than 300 languages. Ladies and gentlemen, my favorite version of the song is about as original as you can get. It's in German. It is specifically from a record titled A Christmas, I'm sorry, A German Christmas. Uh, it is a vinyl record that I acquired a number of years back. I have at least two copies of it, and, uh, and the whole record is amazing. It is the Biederfell Kinderchor, if I'm saying that correctly, the children's choir. And yeah, there you go. It's my favorite rendition. And I will end the episode of 2023 with that. So with that said, ladies and gentlemen, Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. God bless everybody. Thank you for listening. Thank you again for the emails, the comments, the text messages, all of it. I love all of you without a doubt. And I will be back, I believe, the first Wednesday of the new year will be the next show. So give this a listen. Steel knocked, heil knocked. Merry Christmas, everybody. God bless. Peace.
Thank you for listening to American Education FM. Make sure and check out AmericanEducationFM.com for more information. Take care and God bless.